This is Bach to Bach, the podcast opening up the world of classical music one beer at a time. And today we are here to talk about the worst idea of all time. And that would be the viola. I'm kidding. It's prohibition. We actually just, the beer that we're going to try today is non-alcoholic, but it is delicious. It is actually gluten removed. So Kev has gonna, a beer no, sitting in We're going to find out. We haven't tested the waters yet. I'm looking at it. I haven't drank it yet. It says it's gluten removed, but I don't know if I trust it. So if this episode ends short, it's because Kevin broke out in hives and I, I went to the to hospital. The ER. <laughs> so so um, happy four minute episode, everybody. But you do have to have a sip. But no, we, we are here to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the enaction of Prohibition this month. And do you know what the actual date was? January 17th, 1920. So it's this Friday. It will be this Friday. Wow. Holy cow. Which means you and I are going out on the town. <laughs> Hurrah. I'll, I'll, I'll be out of the town, but that's fine. Anybody. <laughs> um, so we thought with this episode, as later on when Matt dives into the history behind Prohibition... And what it meant a hundred years ago, I thought I'd go to the other extreme and pick composers that were drunkards and who wrote the most incredible pieces when they were drunk or had a drunk sounding piece to them. Um, so I went to the other extreme. Now we have to just put a disclaimer out there. When you compose, please compose responsibly. Yes. And drink responsibly too. Both yeah, are good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but so to kick off this episode, I, I chose classic Beethoven. Uh, we all know Beethoven. If you don't know Beethoven, that's sad. This is clearly the, <laughs> You're your the first wrong episode. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so uh, I went back to 1795, and he wrote this piece called Rondo Lac Apricioso. And and it was uh, basically, to kind of give some background Beethoven, he was not only a drunk, he was incredibly messy. He left piles of food around his whole apartment. He was just a nuisance to deal with at all times. Was he deaf at this point? Yes. Okay, so he's also deaf. And and what? Oh, sorry, excuse me. He's he's progressively going more and more deaf. At this point, he's pretty much fully deaf. Not not a hundred percent. Now, does but, it, does, is this also the point where he is going along with that fabled story of him where he's cutting off the legs of people yes, so that so, he can feel them? So one of the classic stories is that because he was losing his hearing, he put the, he cut the legs off the, his grand piano and put it on the floor so that he could feel the vibrations and the vibrations felt right to him for the chords he was playing. He would compose it and such. Um, and so he was just a hot mess. That's the best way to describe <laughs> him. He, Beethoven was the hottest mess Ever not hot, but he was a hot mess. He was a hot mess. Um, and so uh, this piece, composed in 1795, also uh, is referred to as the rage over a lost penny. And here's why: um, first thing was that, like, really, he so he had servants, and he treated them so terribly. Uh, I mean, his his maids and his servants were just he was he was terrible to them. He was just an awful human. That's awful. And there was a lost penny on the floor and it was just gone. And he like literally in a hot rage, just accused his servants of stealing it at all times. And so this, at this time, this became the name of a rage over a lost penny. 
And what was interesting is that like here he is as uh, in Italy composing this, um, and he. But this is very much of a Hungarian dance feel to it. Oh, okay, okay. So it's it's a very odd uh, combination of of, of uh, styles. And then on top of that, you'll hear in the first two minutes, it literally sounds like he's getting drunk as he's writing it because it sounds like there's more and more out of tune and wrong notes. And then, it, and then like he comes to his senses afterwards. So it, you'll hear, it sounds like someone's playing wrong notes, but it's actually correct. Okay. Um, and then okay. it comes back. So basically if you take it as being drunk, it's like you're drunk and then you're sober. If you look at it as rage over a lost penny, it's you're like on a hunt trying to find it. You're going crazy and then you just give up and say, okay, fine, go on with life and move on from there. Which, I mean, no one ever really gives up over a lost penny. Actually, fun fact, now in the States, a penny costs more than it's actually worth yep. to make. Yep. That's a whole nother social commentary right there on the... the, the we will not do a whole episode on yeah. pennies, but John Oliver did that, so we're all good. Yeah. It's all covered. Check it out. So this is from 1795 by Beethoven, uh, Rondo alla Capriccioso uh, for piano. Uh, and just hear, hear the rage, hear the craziness, hear the drunkenness, but also hear the brilliance of what Beethoven have to offer. When we come back, we're going to talk about all things prohibition I'm and um, American non-alcoholic beers. Yeah. That might be gluten removed. We'll find out. <laughs> Here we go.
All right. So your words during listening to that was like, it sounded like can can at points. Yeah, I, I I thought so. I thought I heard a little reminiscing of not reminiscing, but I thought I heard little hints of, of, of melody lines that sounded like that reminded me of the can can. I mean, every composer's inspired. So, yeah, it's true. It's true. But but you were saying it's 50 years before the fact, right? I'll born in that. Yeah. There but it's uh, it's really cool to hear those hints from one composer to another. I mean, like, as we mentioned way back in episode four, how much John Williams was inspired by Stravinsky, Shostakovich, Prokofiev. Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky, all of that into the Wakey Star Wars, Jaws, all that. So even as well, even as we listen to pieces uh, like the uh, any of Bach's fugues and how they relate to today's heavy metal uh, mm. electric guitar runs, mm. so interconnected. How's it taste? Actually, not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. So prohibition. Yeah. What better transition than to talk about? Some of the two most contentious bookends in history, the 18th and the 21st Amendment in the U.S. 18th, of course, which made Nickelback legal to play. It's true. Within the States. And then the, the 21st, which made Nickelback illegal to play. That's true as well. Both are, still, both are very true. Still an underground movement that's keeping it going on, on radio stations even to this day, unfortunately. Do you think Nickelback changed with the inflation, though? So are they like dollar back now? I really want to laugh at that, but it's just... <laughs> I don't think inflation inflation will never help them that much. Maximum dime back, but that's I mean that's it. That's as far as they're gonna go. The we have penny back. Aww, anyway, guys. continue. As of the seventeenth of this week, we are in uh, you know the year two thousand twenty. If you're listening to this in the year two thousand twenty three, we are in the year two thousand twenty, and a few days from now of the of the release of this podcast it will be the one hundredth anniversary of the inaction. Of the 18th Amendment, which was the uh, the amendment which forced prohibition upon the U.S., which yes. prohibited the the uh, the uh, the sale and the production of alcohol, but strangely enough, not the consumption of it. And this was actually a legal loophole for a very long time. Yeah. Now to celebrate this, we are drinking a golden ale from uh, Athletic Brewing Company in Connecticut. Now these guys, we're going to come back to these guys in a minute. I'm actually. Kev, you picked the six pack up. Yeah, at Bow Street Beverage in Portland. And it was a it was recommended to me. And like I was just I was caught by the clear branding. I had no idea who they were. I was told that the brewery was awesome. Um and I've can I tell the fun fact about yeah, yeah, tell, okay, so tell, basically tell the, the fun, fun fact about this is that you have to drink eight pints of this beer within two minutes. So they're not eight cans, eight pints of this beer within two minutes to get the slightest buzz. Jack Bebb might be able to do that if he's listening. He he might, but there's probably not a good chance. Um, but it is, uh, again, it's a 0.05% ABV to this. So it's not a whole beer. Like, it's always going to be a little bit, but it's never enough to actually get a buzz. And they actually, they, so their story, if you check them out, and again, we'll come back to this in a second, but there was a there was a guy who loved to go out, loved to experience craft beer, but at a certain point was at this he was he was engaged, he was going to get married, had a, a a big financial career, and he was at this point where he was sitting there thinking, I need to not be feeling like absolute crap in the morning. So there was this giant niche in the market for non-alcoholic craft beer. So they've got a golden ale, they've got a, an IPA, they even have a session. Yeah, uh, a pilot session ale, which 
is I, I I'd love to talk to them about because I if it's already that it's light. Already, yeah, but yeah. you know what? I'm we're, we'll but again we'll come back around to this. So prohibition started. This was actually a movement that started in the 1870s. And oh it, really? Yeah. Okay, well, that far back. There was there there's the, the much larger temperance movement, and there's, there's a load of organizations that rose up in this. A lot obviously driven a lot by. Um, a lot of uh, religious denominations and it was a kind of a direct effect along with there was, there was a lot of other influences here, but came along with the industrial revolution. Cause all of a sudden in these cities, you had these centers of population and you had people going to work. And then as they got out of work, you had them going to the bar and what was an agricultural nation became an industrial nation. And as a result, you had, um, the alcohol kind of rose to meet that. Mm. And so you saw a lot of people, a lot of, of communities feel that, like their values are being threatened. And the temperance movement came up in the, in the 1860s, 1870s. And finally, after uh, just decades and decades of work, we saw the 18th Amendment get ratified on January 17th, 1920. And this went all the way. This was 13 years long. It didn't end until December 5th, 1933. Now, part of this, there was a lot of factors that brought it back around. One was that everyone's sitting there going, well, this clearly isn't working. And then there was another, uh, with the onset of the Great Depression in 1929, uh, the, the government, from a purely financial standpoint, was sitting there saying, we can't forgo all this tax revenue. Now, one of the things that they were saying when, in, the, in the run up to Prohibition was that this will decrease crime. And as we all know, that's exactly what happened. Prohibition went into effect and no one committed any crimes ever. Never happened. Wait, wait a second. No, no, no. Take it back. That's the opposite of what happened. It actually gave rise to a massive uh, uh, underworld of, of uh, bootlegging. The rise of the American gangster Al Capone came to power in the in during the prohibition era as people ran boot, uh, ran liquor across the border from Canada, made liquor here at home. Um, there is no actual official estimate of how many speakeasies, which, uh, you know, if, if the word speakeasy is foreign to you, it was, a, it was a, a, a pub or a club or a place where you could get alcohol during Prohibition that was not an official place. Uh, but there's no actual count on, on, on how many speakeasies there were in Manhattan, according to the, the New York Historical Society, but they estimate anywhere between 20,000 to 100,000 speakeasies during Wait. that time. In, no Manhattan, way. in Manhattan, in Manhattan alone. alone. Yeah. So and holy and cow, there were places, and of course, uh, driven a lot by that's gang- insane. Yeah. So driven a lot by gangsters. So there's one called Casablanca, which was a run by a mob named Larry Fay. Uh, so Someone he, should make a movie named after that. Oh, oh, Casablanca. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's got there. It is actually a crap city. If you're going to go to Morocco, there's so many other great cities to go to other than Casablanca. It's but we'll that's a travel blog. We'll come back to that. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Go back, go back to Manhattan. So, but so this poor guy, I should, I say that no mobster should ever be referred to as a poor guy. But this was a particular hangout for gangsters. But on the first of January, nineteen thirty-two, so he, uh, almost two years before prohibition ended, uh, so he announced a thirty percent pay cut to his employees, and in response. Um, in in all good you know labor disputes, his doorman shot him to death that same day. So you know, way to eliminate crime. Um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> another time, there was there was Chumley's, which was a big one, which was started by a radical social activist, Lee Chumney, uh, in 1922. But this was a big writers' hangout. So you had Hemingway, Dylan Thomas, F. Scott Fitzgerald, 
John Steinbeck, Norman Mailer. Uh, you had uh, E.E. Cummings. Wait, they, they all went there? To this? Yeah, this was their hangout. This was like the writer wow. speaking easy. So you had these, these places be centers of, of, of culture and, and, uh, and innovation. But um, again, for this 13-year stretch, 1920 to 1933, uh, it was illegal to... Um, to produce and sell liquor but not illegal not to, to consume. consume so a lot of times when speakeasies would be raided uh they would uh, they would tell the police that everyone there actually brought their own liquor because that was it wasn't illegal to consume it right so little loophole there i do know obviously whether the cops believed it or not that's that's up to them we don't know um but if you are looking to go on a little bit of your own Self-prohibition at the moment for a lot of folks. A lot of folks are doing the dry January, which is I mean, this was really yeah. under Kevin's uh, idea yeah, to a, talk a, about a, a dry January. A bunch January. of my friends have, have done dry January and I'm like, why not at least, you know, we've done, we featured gluten-free beer and then featured everything, but non-alcoholic beers. Let's, let's feature these a brewery or two that we can find this month that actually feet is a non-alcoholic brew. And this is a, a delicious... Now, now, here's the question. Have you broke out in hives yet? No, not yet. All right. Knock on wood. I'm not dead yet. So Kevin is enjoying this non-alcoholic golden ale, and it is and apparently uh, gluten-removed. According gluten to this brewery's website, it says it's gluten-removed, so I'm going to try it. So celiac, I would not go for it, just to be safe. Just to be safe. But if you are gluten-intolerant, so far, we are five minutes in, we're good. So again, if this episode ends early, it's because I've taken Kevin to the ER. The one of the and, and for those who are uh, wondering, I think we've talked about this briefly before, but gluten free versus gluten removed. There is a process that's becoming more and more prevalent in the brewing community where you can mix in in the brew process uh, chemicals which then latch on to the gluten uh, molecules and and it can be then sifted out so that you can produce a a 90 Five ninety nine 99% gluten-free yeah. product. So Emission does this, Emission Brewing, um, these guys. and Because it is obviously very hard to produce a, a purely gluten-free product. Right. But, um, but as far as a non-alcoholic uh, beer goes, this is delicious. Oh, I mean, it's it's so crisp and clean. It's got a real nice floral uh, scent to it as you go into it. Uh, and uh, to the mm. point where I'd be, they also do an IPA, and I'd be really curious to know what their IPA smells but this like. Golden, the Golden Dawn is called, by the way. It's it's yeah. uh, oh, it's called Upside Down. Ups, upside Dawn, upside sorry. Dawn. Upside Dawn. Um, it's, <laughs> it smells fantastic. It tastes fantastic. It's so crisp and easy. And like, if you just want to like have that beer fixed without you know having alcohol in it, this is absolutely the choice, no question. I actually had this out of my own accord the other night. Where on Friday we went to uh, to this this great restaurant bar just below our, our office called uh, the Garrison in Yarmouth, Maine, and they've got a great selection of cocktails and wine, but they also had a great bunch of of local beers, and one of which was this. And of all the choices, I ended up going with the Upside Down. And, and it just, even on a Friday after a long week, it hit the spot. This is delicious stuff. So again, these guys, it is tough to find their beer because if you look at their website, they are sold out of almost everything. Yeah. So they, they do a golden ale, they do a IPA, they do a session ale. And I, I got a feeling if they keep on this rate, they're going to continue producing even more varieties of non-alcoholic beer. Absolutely. To a place where you can enjoy the same great tasting a beer that you love in the craft beer scene without having to get hammered by an 8% volume. And these guys actually won a, a silver medal at national competition. Oh, no way. While being lined up against other alcoholic beers, which I think that's pretty awesome. Is a strong testament to them. Now, if you put old duels up against anything else, oh, it's, 
Yeah, it's garbage. not gonna. Yeah, it's not gonna do it. But um, these guys really have something here. Again, you want to check out Athletic Brewing Company in Connecticut. It's uh, everything that they're making is delicious. And if you if you want to experience craft beer, enjoy the taste of, of really well made organic organically sourced product mm. um, without the without the high ABV. Again, uh, each one of them hover around 05 percent ABV, so half a percent ABV. Um, check them out, Athletic Brewing Company. And even though it's a non-alcoholic beer, it is a higher price point compared to Odul's or other ones that are like that. Oh, but yeah. it is a far better product. You will feel better about like supporting local small breweries. You will feel better about how you feel afterwards. Even if it is alcoholic, you just it won't feel grimy and gross. It's a clean, crisp beer that's worth supporting. And uh, and walk away. You can even you drive home, and, and it's a good. beer you can drink. We're yes, really and I can. And so far, I've not died yet. So it's a win-win for everybody. And you know what they say: buy cheap, buy twice. So, so spend the extra money, support these guys. They're making a great beer, and we ought to keep them going. And next week's episode features Barber's School for Scandal, which is yeah. a piece that Maddie played for the first time with his youth orchestra when yeah, he was a kid. When I moved up to the Empire State Youth Orchestra, the top tier, this was our first program, the the School for Scandal. That was 23 years ago. Yeah, 1997. Yeah, yeah. There are actually people born after that date that are legally able to consume beer, which is nuts. And that's how math works. Oh, scary. Good job, everybody. Nice job. And in the meantime, this has been another episode of Bach to Bach. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Be sure to follow Bach to Bach on Spotify to get notified of the latest episodes. And keep the conversation going on Instagram with us and follow us on all social media platforms at Bach to Bach. That's B-A-C-H-T-O-B-O-C-K. Cheers and keep listening.